Chapter 5. Build a Tribe Every summer growing up, I attended a week-long camp in the middle of Georgia. While many movies have been created that try to capture the magic of being at camp as a young boy, none of them ever came close to my own experience. It was a faith-based summer camp supported by the same family of churches that my parents were a part of, but that wasn't the reason I was so excited about it year after year. It was because this camp was paradise on earth. Basketball courts, canoeing, ultimate frisbee, friendship bracelets, a snack bar, basically everything a young boy craves in life. Accommodations during the week consisted of a square cabin situated along a stream in the woods. There were eight cabins on the boy's side and eight cabins on the girl's side. I mean, I presume. I never personally made it over to the girl's side of the camp, though I've heard stories. And each cabin contained 10 bunk beds and space for two camp counselors. To most people, these cabins would seem primitive. There was no air conditioning, just a ceiling fan in the middle, and the floors were bare plywood. Paths worn between each cabin turned into gushing rivers of mud whenever it rained and made trying to get to the main hall for meals quite the adventure. That's what this place was to me, an adventure, an opportunity to be Huckleberry Finn in real life. When you arrived at camp to begin the week, you would first move into your assigned cabin. You'd meet your counselors for the week, as well as the other boys you'd be sharing the cabin with. The cabins were assigned based on how old you were, so the summer when I was 10 years old, I was put in a cabin with all the other 10-year-old boys. Most years, I had no existing friendships with the boys in my cabin. The counselors were new most years, and since the camp ran for eight weeks, even the friends you knew from previous years ended up coming to camp on a different week than you. But it didn't matter. Over the course of the week, no matter which year it was, or who the other people in the cabin were, the boys in that cabin became inseparable. We'd spend all day, every day, playing in the woods, eating together, and doing challenges as a team. Everyone felt included and no one was left out. In less than seven days, 20 strangers became a family. Why family is important. One of the most important achievements any small group can aspire to is developing a real sense of family. When the people in your small group are devoted to each other, when they genuinely care for each other, that is something special. Developing a sense of family in your small group creates a safe environment. No one gets kicked out of their family because they had a bad week or a poor performance. The security of knowing that you are a part of a loving and spiritual family means you can let your guard down a little bit. If you've ever been in a cutthroat corporate environment where you don't know who to trust, then you've experienced the exact opposite of this. If you haven't, let's just say it's not much fun and leave it at that. The purpose of your small group is not just about helping people grow spiritually. More importantly, it's about building a kingdom community, a family of believers that eat, breathe, and live in one another's lives. Building family is not just for the benefit of the other members in your group. Building family also has tangible benefits for you as the leader. That inclusive vibe, that applies to you when you lead a lousy lesson. It applies when you're having a bad week and you just need a hug. It applies when you lack confidence and need someone to remind you how important and loved you are. 
Building family makes leading easier because you are free to make mistakes. I can't tell you how many times I've met an insecure leader. More than I wish was true. It's not always easy to see, but the signs are pretty obvious once you know what you're looking for. Insecure leaders are super bossy. Insecure leaders don't admit when they make a mistake and are quick to shift the blame. Insecure leaders struggle to give up control. Insecure leaders pretend that everything is amazing all the time. And insecure leaders don't have truly close relationships. What's going on? Why would any leader want or desire this kind of existence? Chances are, these leaders don't feel safe in their small group. They don't feel safe enough to take off their super spiritual mask and let people see who they really are. They don't feel supported by their group, and so they believe they have to be perfect all the time or risk being exposed as a fraud. This is not a sustainable way to lead. It's unhealthy, and it's not even effective. The cure for all of these insecure leader symptoms, in addition to a nice big dose of humility, is to develop a strong sense of family alongside the people you are leading. You're not perfect. Everyone already knows you're not perfect. It's much better to create an environment where you feel safe being yourself rather than exhaust yourself trying to keep up the charade. Three layers of relationships. Every person seeks connection on three levels. You can think about it like concentric circles, one circle in the middle with a slightly larger circle outside of that and a still larger circle outside of that second one. And each of these circles represents a different depth of human connection. And every level is vital to the overall health of your relationships. We're going to explore the centermost circle, which is one-on-one relationships, more in depth in the next chapter. But for now, let's start with the outermost circle, the big picture. The big picture. Big reflects the need that every human being feels to identify with something larger than themselves. This is the feeling that you get when you're cheering for a sports team at your home stadium, the feeling you get by aligning with a political party, or the feeling of talking to someone who loves the same band as you. As a small group, it's important to connect with a larger spiritual family. One of the things that initially attracted me to Christianity was the promise of being a part of God's kingdom and his plan to save the world. Talk about exciting. When things aren't going well, when people in your group are facing tough situations in life, when that one sin or that one illness just won't go away, it's being a part of something bigger that inspires you to keep going. Seeing the big picture keeps you in the fight because you know that you're not alone. When it's just you and the handful of people around you, it's easy to feel isolated, to feel lonely. All it takes is a couple of group members having bad weeks, and your small group meeting turns into a pity party. I know this from experience. When I first attended college at Auburn University, I was a part of a small church, so small that every person in the church could fit into a single living room. There were some really incredible benefits to being that size. But when things weren't going so great, it was easy to lose heart. At one point, 
We just went around and prayed for everyone to find jobs so we could keep the church alive. That is not the highlight reel moment you picture in your mind when you sign up for an exciting church planting. In order to not feel isolated, once a month we would all travel to Atlanta for the weekend. The church that supported our group financially would take us in, encourage us, equip us, and then send us back feeling rejuvenated. I can't tell you how much worshiping with a larger congregation impacted me. But in the moments when I was wrestling with my faith, it helped me remember something important. The kingdom of God is much bigger than my small ministry. If you are a part of a large church, then your Sunday service meets this innate human need. Being together with hundreds or even thousands of other Christians, all singing the same songs, unified in your desire to pursue God, recharges your spiritual batteries. If you happen to be in a smaller church or in a house church like I was, you have to get a little more creative. You might travel to worship with a sister congregation in another city, find a ministry in town that you can fellowship with, or go to a church conference in your region. People need to reconnect with the big picture from time to time and be reminded that they're not alone. Your small group, while on a spiritual outpost in the heart of enemy territory, is not alone. The big picture is what keeps you grounded. Let's explore the second layer of human relationships, being a part of a tribe. Tribes. The origin of the tribe goes back thousands of years. Human beings formed small communities, tribes, with people they trusted would look out for their best interests. They worked together to survive, to fight off predators, and provide for the needs of those in the group. It's definitely nice to be able to fall asleep without worrying about a bear storming your cave and shortening your lifespan. We are social animals, and even though we don't face the same life and death stakes our ancestors did, Being a part of a smaller group of trustworthy peers is an important aspect of our relational needs. The early church was very quick to develop a tribe among the early believers. After Pentecost, a wide range of Jews from different regions, different languages, and different backgrounds came together to form a new community. It is at this point in the new Jesus movement that we see what would define the Christian tribe. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 48. Right off the bat, we see that they were committed to establishing an extended spiritual family. These weren't people treating each other like strangers. These were the actions of a tribe, of people looking out for each other, of people forming a group identity. There are several ideas that came to define the early church's culture that directly apply to your small group. Let's explore each of them in turn. Be the first line of defense. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Acts 2, verses 44 and 45. The early disciples were fiercely committed to taking care of each other's needs. No need was too large or too small. They did whatever it took, 
even selling their property and their possessions to help their brother or sister. This level of commitment is radical, but you don't have to sell your house to put this into practice. The principle that you want to take from the hearts of the early disciples is to be the first line of defense for the members of your group. When someone in your group has a need, it's the other group members that step up to the plate and take care of them. When someone loses their job and is struggling to put food on the table, it's the other group members that make sure they never miss a meal. When someone loses a family member or someone close to them, it's the other group members who drive to their house to console and comfort them. Living in Florida, we get visits from hurricanes from time to time. One year, we received a direct hit as Hurricane Matthew came right up the east coast of Florida, wreaking havoc all up and down the state. A young married couple that our small group had been reaching out to had recently purchased a house near the beach. So naturally, after the hurricane had passed, they had a lot of tree damage on their property. Without being asked, a group of us volunteered to go over and help them clean up their yard. What would have taken them weeks to do on their own, we were able to finish up in the course of an afternoon. What impact did a simple act of service have on this couple? They still look back on that day as the moment when they knew this was no ordinary group of people, but a family of believers committed to a radical love. And they're still in our small group to this day. Commit to taking care of each other. Be the first line of defense when it comes to the needs within your group. Communicate consistently. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Acts 2 verse 46. Something else the early disciples committed to was communicating consistently. In verse 46, we see that they spent time together on a daily basis. Time is the one thing you can't hack your way out of. You can deliver the most awe-inspiring discussions, prepare the most delicious food, and meet needs as they arrived. But there is no avoiding the need to spend quality time together. To develop a tribe identity, the people in your group should get in the habit of staying in touch during the week, just like the early church did. It's probably not practical to meet in person every day, but there are some other ways to facilitate the same kind of connectedness. One option is to set up a Facebook group, or whatever the equivalent is at the time you are reading this. I've used this method to great effect for several different small groups. Most people have Facebook accounts, so all you have to do is set up a common place for them to leave messages and sit back and watch as they all start chatting away. Group text messaging apps like GroupMe allow you to set up group chats with the members of your group. They live separate from your text messages, which means your phone isn't blowing up all the time, but you can still stay in touch with multiple people at once. Set up prayer partners, so it doesn't seem as overwhelming to keep in touch with everyone. Set up a time during the day to connect with another person in the group, to talk about life and pray together. This doesn't have to be super formal, and may be as easy as shooting someone a text message the day of to get something on the books. If you or someone in your group tends to be more introverted, this will probably be the most effective way to maintain connection during the week. Whatever method your group decides to implement isn't as important as the consistency you apply to it. Developing a consistent means of communication is the essential element. Break bread together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Acts 2 verse 47. Make it a point of emphasis 
to share regular meals with each other. This can be as easy as putting together a potluck meal for your small group meetings, but sharing food together is one of the best ways to bond. The University of Chicago performed a study to identify the link between food and cooperation. They discovered that giving strangers the same food to eat together led to increased trust and allowed them to resolve conflict more effectively. What is it about food that has this magical effect? When you eat the same food as someone else, you develop a bond with that person. They become less strange to you, more relatable, and that leads to increased levels of trust and cooperation. This same science is going on behind the scenes every time you sit down to share a meal with someone. They are becoming less strange and more familiar. After all, if you both like eating Hawaiian pizza, they must be alright after all, right? In a tribe, trust is the name of the game. Be purposeful in planning and sharing meals together. Eliminate clicks. All the believers were together. Acts 2 verse 44. One thing that often goes unnoticed about the early church was how committed they were to being inclusive. All the believers were together, not just the ones who naturally got along. All the believers were together, not just the ones with the same cultural background. The early church included Jews from every corner of the known world. This is before the gospel started spreading to the Gentiles. But that didn't stop them from forming a singular group identity around their belief in Jesus. The biggest enemy to having the same heart of inclusiveness in your group is cliques. A clique is a small group of people with shared interests or other features in common who spend time together and do not readily allow others to join them. Cliques are formed through exclusion, not inclusion. Unfortunately, our natural tendency is to gravitate towards people that are just like us. Human beings gravitate towards people that are similar to themselves since it's much easier to relate to them. It doesn't take as much work to get along with someone if they like the same food and the same football team that you do. It's work to build a friendship with someone who doesn't share the same interests that you do. As the leader, you want to be purposeful in dissolving any cliques that form. Cliques in Christian small groups are not usually formed purposefully or vindictively, so just pointing them out should be sufficient enough to help people realize they're excluding other members of the group. If not, then a more serious conversation will need to occur so their hearts do not become hard and self-righteous. It's not bad for people to want to spend time with each other, but you don't want to create separate groups within your small group that don't interact with each other. Everyone in the small group, though different, needs to feel like they're a part of the same family. The reason those weeks at camp were so special was that the other boys in my cabin and I unknowingly formed a tribe identity. Everyone felt included and everyone looked out for each other. After a week together, we were no longer strangers. We had become a family. Every small group is different because every person is different. Your tribe will be unique, and that's a good thing. Implement the characteristics we see in the early church, and your small group will grow closer together than they've ever been. Take the next step. Grade your group on each of the four things we discussed in this chapter. Be brutally honest 
This is not a test where you pass or fail. Make an objective assessment of where your group is so you know where you can improve. And those four subjects were first line of defense, communicate consistently, breaking bread, and eliminating clicks. Once you've taken the time to honestly grade where you are with each of these things, start to make positive changes related to each one individually. Preferably, start with the one you are weakest in and work your way up. Don't wear yourself out by trying to implement everything at once. You can be deliberate and make progress without burning yourself out. Imagine what it's going to feel like when your small group starts to feel like a tribe. Every person is going to feel like they're a part of a family that looks out for each other and loves each other deeply. When you can achieve that level of closeness, not only will your group stick together, but each person will feel safe enough to let their guard down and be true to themselves.